What's up, guys? It's Matt. On today's edition of the TKW Podcast, I chat with Kyle Maggio about some potential lineup choices that the Knicks can use this season. We talk about what they can do at guard, what they'll try out to start the season, and where we think the lineups will go as the season moves along as they potentially make some roster changes. We also talk about some other things like Kyrie Irving in the Knicks. We talk a little Kevin Durant. We talk about what we're going to expect from Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson this season, KP's injury when he should come back, and a lot of other things. So we're excited for basketball to get going. This is our best way to get our thoughts out. So without further ado, let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined, as always, by Kyle Maggio. What's going on? Nothing much, man. How's everything going? Uh, good. Uh, you know, I watched the best team in football just trounce the Lions on Monday Night Football. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, so, you know, not, not a big deal or anything, but the Darnold era is uh, officially upon us, so I'm pretty happy about it. We've talked about Sam Darnold and Barkley already on this program in the past, but as a Giants fan, I'm very excited for all the Jets fans, and I thoroughly enjoy watching Sam Darnold be good. You all deserve it. You deserve a good quarterback because the Giants don't have a good quarterback, and Sam Darnold should be a New York Giant right now. I said it during the draft, and I'll continue saying it. Makes me ill. Yeah, I, I don't. I feel bad for you. No, I don't feel bad for you guys. Don't feel Bar- bad because Barkley's a hell. Barkley's a hell of a player. So I don't yeah, actually feel. He's I don't great. feel bad for you guys. But you know, just I know it seemed like everybody just wanted a quarterback, and then they simply did not do that. So um, I'm enjoying Sam Darnold here. Uh, I'm enjoying his. Hopefully, season-long connection to Quincy Inunua, the long-slept-on receiver of this I team. I love Quincy Inunua. I also love Robbie Anderson besides all of the legal issues that he has. But uh, as a player, he's great. Yeah, yeah. As a player, he's just fantastic, and I, I liked what I saw. And uh, But but Inunua was just a fucking animal. So that was really fun to watch, especially because he, he just missed the whole season with that neck injury. So people well, last were time he was a little healthy, he was good. Like, I think people forget when he played, what was it, two years ago now? Like, he was a mm-hmm. pretty good wide receiver. He was very good. Like, yeah. like came out of nowhere good. And then, you know, injuries happen. And um, I don't know. He, he looked really good. And hopefully that's a connection that, um, you know, that'll be there for the whole season. Not just because I'm a homer and I'm biased and I'd like for it to happen, obviously. But um, I also picked up Quincy Inunua in a few fantasy leagues because I... Oh, that's I, all you need then. Well, because I try to tell Thanks, people, man. I was just like, nobody's talking about him. Robbie yep. Anderson's going to be the deep threat. And then a rookie's best friend is never the deep threat. It's the guy 100%. who's... Yeah, it's going to be the guy who's in the slot, who's going to go over the middle, line up a bunch of different ways. And I was like, I just feel like he's going to get targeted a lot. And I picked him up. And again, I don't want to toot my own horn yet. I don't want to pull him at Spenley and celebrate... A little too early. Um, okay, let's relax. <laughs> Pull out an example of this. What is this? Yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I'm just I'm stumbling. I can't even think of an example at this moment. But uh, something with Didi Gregorius. I'm oh sure. yeah, you yeah. Pull out anything from that. But uh, but I don't know. I, I'm excited. Um, yeah, it, hopefully it's a good season. Hopefully, I hope so. just yeah. I was at the Giants game on Sunday, and it poured rain the whole time. And as much as I didn't like the Barkley pick, it was really cool to see him. <laughs> rip off that 68-yard touchdown for his first score in person. It was, it was, was beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. But, of course, Eli missed throw after throw all over the field. That, was, that was, in, fa- in fairness, that was a tough defense to play. 
That's a really tough secondary. A, a very tough defense. It's 100 percent true, and it's it, tough, especially the way they play a lot of zone schemes. And for a guy like Eli, as you get older, you know his brain's still there, but zone it's, it's harder. You got to fit it in certain pockets, and when you have a guy like Odell that can just break away. I think Eli just doesn't have the skill anymore to be able to throw the balls that he has to. It's just a fact. Yeah, I mean it. It, it stinks too because you. I mean, you kind of assume that he's not going to be able to make the throws, and then he does make them, but he'll overthrow them a little bit. And then yeah, that's so even more. Sees it, and and then, but it just can't make it happen. Yeah, you know? and, then, and then it's even more frustrating. Like I'd rather you throw a duck. Like remember when Peyton Manning just didn't have the arm strength oh, anymore, and everything and everything was just under. So you knew it was going to be under. You can game plan for it being under. You could try to work with him, but then like with Eli, it's strange because it's just like ah, he's getting up there, doesn't have the arm strength, and he's just like gunning. You know, just overshooting sometimes, and it's like, well, what do you, what can you do about that? It's frustrating, but it's football's back, so that's exciting. Yep. But we are also getting closer to basketball being back, and before we get into some of our conversations, I want to address what we tweeted about and tell a brief story before we get into the pod because we had Adam and Eric from Knicks Gaming on the pod, so Kyle and I decided to record this pod during our workday, during our lunch breaks because that was the only time that worked for them. So I decided to go into my car at work, record the podcast, and as I'm going, my connection starts breaking up, and about eight minutes into our conversation, my computer just starts overheating, and it freezes. But the call was still recording, and I could still hear them speaking, so I just let it go. And much to my chagrin, when I checked after and brought my computer inside the office, uh, it didn't record. So we're hoping to have those guys on later and have another conversation with them because they were great guests and uh we hope that we can continue to bring you guys Knicks gaming coverage because it was a great season for them this year and it was a ton of fun to watch so keep an eye out for that but in the meantime uh my fault and kyle did a great job without me so props to him no props to me bottom line it's it's the lost tapes and <laughs> just, just to make you feel uh a little bit better and i and i wanted to let the fans though too um I had it was it was just a rough experience for all of us. Luckily, I didn't have to worry about recording anything, but I had um, my phone kind of mounted right above the AC because it was scorching that day. So I'm sitting in a parked car um, in 90 some odd degree weather with my phone mounted over an air conditioner so it doesn't overheat. And uh, because of that, and I didn't want to connect it to Bluetooth because I was already going to have shitty quality as it was. So I had my mouth as close as I could get it to my phone mic. In the corner of the car. So, like, you know where that corner vent is in the yes. front? Yeah, that, that's that's where, like, my face was trying to record the entire pod. I wasn't just lounging and relaxing in my car. Uh, I was I was kind of hunched over trying to make sure that I can clean up whatever, you know, uh, feedback issues we could have had. And it just, it, it was a debacle from start to finish from both of us. I wish somebody could have recorded that on camera and had a, Would have been like, great. Had, had a split screen of both <laughs> you and I struggling with our technology in a car on a sweltering day. But, um, you know, these things happen uh, from time to time. So, uh, like you know, like Matt said, it was a great pod. Um, it was a joy to talk to. We're going to try to get them back on because a lot of you guys were um, not just interested, but actually asked us to get those guys on the pod. So, uh, obviously, we want to make that happen for you guys and make sure we come through on that so we have a little bit of time left um hopefully we can get them back on soon um but yeah so that's about it uh so what's going on in Nixland, my friend what's going on in Nixland is a great question less than two weeks until training camp which is awesome but the big thing on twitter today that we were kind of talking about because there was a report today that Kyrie Irving is going to be the Knicks 
first, second, third, and fourth options in free agency. So he's a guy they're going to target. We've talked about him before. We know that he's been a guy that the Knicks are going to be going after. This is not news. So it was just a reason for people to bring this up again. I'm going to let you have the floor because I know you are passionate about this Kyrie to the Knicks thing, and you basically say we shouldn't even hope for it to happen at all. So please tell us why. It it, it already doesn't make sense just for him to leave the situation that he's in. Like he, he's already going to, you know, he's already making good money um, if he just rides that deal out. But the thing was, all of this started with the extension that he got offered quote-unquote. I don't know if it was officially, but there was rumors of him signing an extension potentially, and he turned it down, and everyone went, well, that means he's going to sign with the Knicks. Right. Which is just so so false. It's it's just such, short-sighted. It, yeah, it, it really... Like, like I understand everybody wants to be hopeful because, and, and the Knicks have not turned this situation around yet, but they have done... Um, you know, they've taken significant strides in turning it around which we have covered. And um, basically everybody thought, well, that means he's going to sign with the Knicks, so there's a good chance he signs with the Knicks. If he were to sign with the Knicks, he would lose somewhat close to $80 million than if he just stayed with the Celtics. Now, you might say, well, you know, he'd give them a hometown discount. But my thing is Boston is still preposterously close to where his family is located. That is a very short car ride for a professional athlete. Like, it's... That's not a big like you know. If, had had he been playing in Oklahoma City or something, I would have been like maybe there's more credible, maybe there's more credits to that you know to to playing in the Northeast. But he's already here in the Northeast, and Boston is also a great city that players enjoy being in. Unlike Cor- places like correct. Oklahoma City or San Antonio, where the players have to talk themselves into enjoying the city itself. You know, correct. What I mean? And and they could enjoy Boston, or like I said, he's a very short ride away from enjoying other northeastern towns. Like, if he yep. wanted to go back to Manhattan, it's really not all that far. You know, like, it's not, it's really not crazy. And anyway, so on top of that, you know, he, he makes $80 million more. He's on a finals contending team. Um, and they're not like a, a windows about the shut contending team. They're a the window is wide open contending team because they're all so young. I mean, Horford's the oldest one and he's a main cog, sure. But, you know, Hayward's in his prime. If he's fully healthy, we assume he will because he took the whole season off to rehab. Yep. Let's hope uh, he's healthy. Yeah. Want to see know, him play. Ky- Kyrie, um, I don't think that surgery he got to finish his season last year was anything major, if I'm not mistaken. It was more so just to clean up uh, what was going right. on in his knee. So it's not that he's not healthy or that he's at an injury risk. That's just a regular thing. Russell Westbrook seems to get his bones cleaned out every offseason at this point. So yeah, um, it just doesn't make sense for almost any reason. The only reason you'd believe that is if... It's the old, well, he's from New York, so he wants to come to New York thing. And how many times does that pan out, guys? Now, Not often. If if things break really well for the Knicks and they can make a case, you know, KP plays, you know, a, a quarter of the season and he's fully healthy, he looks like himself, Knox is, and I hate to keep going back to, like, Tatum, but if, if he has, like, that instant impact of being really, really good, really instantly, and, and, you know, there's no pressure on him kind of thing, like that same kind of vibe, you know, that would have to happen. Mitchell Robinson would probably have to be an NBA player and not an NBA slash Westchester player um, and a decent one. Like a lot of things would have to break right. Frank would have to take a big, big step this year. And it's like, I don't think the window's there for that. I really don't. So 
I I really like Kyrie. I've been a, a Kyrie fan for a very long time. It hurts me to my core that he's on the Boston Celtics, but it's just not going to happen. I just don't see it happening. If it happens, of course it'll be crow. As I often say on this pod, I I would love to be wrong, but I just don't I don't see it. And if he's not going to come, that means Jimmy Butler isn't going to come, which means we're back to Kevin Durant. So I feel like, and I said this uh, in our Slack chat earlier, I feel like maybe that's the most realistic one for narrative reasons, for his legacy, um, his career legacy reasons, but the Kyrie thing just befuddles me. I don't see how people can logically talk themselves into it. And we poke fun at it. We all have fun with it, saying like, oh, you know, he's going to be a Nick in a year, but it's just not going to happen. Well, counterpoint, here's the way that I think it could, and you let me know if you think this is possible. What if Kyrie plays... 10 games this year season ends because of another knee injury maybe the Celtics get worried about paying him what about that scenario do you think there's any shot then that the Celtics say we got a lot of guys we like do we want to give Kyrie Irving this big contract when we're worried about his long-term health the only reason I say yeah is because I feel like they already did that little elusive move with Isaiah Thomas and I feel like they bought themselves you know they bought themselves a little bit of time to, I guess, figure out the point guard situation with Kyrie to make sure he's healthy, to make sure they they can pay him. So I think they fully intend to pay him. Maybe they try to pay him a little bit less, but I think they fully intend to pay him. Um, I feel like it would have to be a doomsday scenario where it's not, it'd have to be like he tears his ACL or something. Yeah, like an Amari type thing where they wouldn't even insure his contract, which wouldn't happen because it's not as bad as Amari. But right. I agree with you. I don't think there's a scenario where Kyrie plays this season with the Celtics, is fully healthy. Let's say they go to the finals and they lose to the Warriors. I just don't see a scenario where that happens. Kyrie plays 70 games during the regular season and then goes to the finals and then leaves the Celtics. I don't think that's happening. And that seems to be the most likely scenario for the Celtics this season, is that they'll rampage through the Eastern Conference. Maybe they'll have some foes if you look at Toronto they might be there. You know, you look at a lot of people like Indiana. There's some other teams that could make a run. But the Celtics are just, I think, head and shoulders above the next team. And they're obviously the best team in the East, which makes them shoo-ins to go to the finals, which then means, are you buying that Kyrie's going to go to the finals, play with the Celtics, and then decide to leave for the decidedly worst New York Knicks? Don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that point in large. If I was going to nitpick you, if we had more time, I was going to say, well, are we sure that they're the best team in the East? If Kawhi is fully healthy and fully engaged? It's possible. It's possible. It's possible that Toronto's better. I don't think it would happen. If both I, teams I, are full health. I still think Boston's better. I but I wouldn't you. be shocked if Toronto, with a fully healthy Kawhi, ends up beating them in a series. I could see that. Yeah, I, I agree that Boston's the better team and the best team in the East. But I just wanted to make the quick case but uh, yeah. the last thing on Kyrie real quick is um the only retort that I've actually had on Twitter to me logically bringing the points up that like I just did here is uh I don't know man Kyrie's a weird dude and I was like yeah <laughs> that, that's true <laughs> that's true um I can't really dismiss that but I don't think he's weird enough to overlook not only a, a really good on-court situation but the best financial situation weird dudes still love money man everyone yeah, loves money weird dudes still love money like this like all, all all the things even legacy standpoint like you get to right uh, unless unless by some some strange chance it, it's like a it's like a 2010 miami heat collusion thing where the where him jimmy and katie are just like hey man we're getting the fuck to new york one way or another like you know tell 
Steve Mills and uh, Scott Perry, they got to clear some fucking contracts because we're going to get there. Unless it's like one of those scenarios, which no one saw coming back then. Yep. Um, it, it's just, to me, it's just not going to happen. Do you think Kyrie's legacy is kind of bulletproof because of the shot in the finals? Like, do you think he could do whatever for the rest of his career unless he completely flames out and he'll have just like a great almost moment that will define the NBA for a lot of us that grew up with him, no matter what happens for the next seven to ten years? I'd be inclined to agree, but I, I'm more so inclined to agree because of the situation he landed in. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if, if they if he would have done all those great things, had the great run in Cleveland, had the shot, you know, had won the ring, and then they moved him to Sacramento, or if they moved him Phoenix. to Phoenix, or if they moved him to, like, maybe, like, the Pistons, like a, a middling team. Oh. Like, you know what I mean? It's like... I agree on the Pistons, that's just... Well, because then, cause then he's going to play the majority of his career not on a contender probably he's going to spend his prime years not on uh, a good team even and and then what happens to your legacy then do we just write you off as a a younger kid who hit a big shot in a clutch moment and was very good elsewhere for a while but didn't really achieve anything or now I, i that's why i'm saying i look at it now it's like well he did all that and then he lands on what at the time was his eastern conference opponent which you know now he's you know the the driving force of it and they're probably going to make a couple of finals runs in the next couple of years, granting, you know, health. So I, I think he's kind of a, a lock from a legacy standpoint for the, the shot and then where he landed. I, I can't see I can't see him taking a hit going forward. Last thing on these guys. I think if you're a betting man, like I think there's a better shot Durant would come to the Knicks than Kyrie. That's how I feel. I, I feel that way pretty strongly. Because and because at least you I, could sell yourself on sense. yeah you could sell yourself on the narrative for Kevin Durant. Yeah. The narrative for Kyrie has never really added up to me either. I agree with you on that. It, it's been a reach, you know. At yeah. least Durant, it's like it makes sense. Like that 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 is to me a legit narrative. Like he doesn't have anything else to prove. Right. You know he they're gonna need to resign uh, Clay pretty soon. They're gonna have to pay uh, Draymond after that. If you know not including Kevin Durant. Um, you know, guys are going to get paid. At some point, that team is going to split. That's just the nature of the NBA. So why not go cash out somewhere else and try to shake off? It, to me, it's like out of the LeBron playbook of reviving your career. Like, yep, you, you did what you had to do. You got hated. And now, you know what? I'm going to take my finals MVPs and I'm going to take my uh, championship rings, which will probably be three after next season. And I'm going to mosey on over to New York because I'm already going to be a top 15 player ever, like guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So while I'm still in my prime, I'm going to go sign this deal. I'm going to go play with Chris Stapps, a budding young star who's hopefully healthy. I like these young players that they have. Grant, you know, assuming, again, like I said before, Knox, Robinson, and Frank all prove that they're either very good, take strides, or actually just solid NBA players. And then you could all of a sudden make the case that the Knicks could make a run in the East with Kevin Durant because the Eastern Conference is weak. I won't feel dumb if Durant doesn't come to New York just because of what you just laid out because in my head, it'll always make sense and it's a logical argument. So I think if he decides not to come, it's just because it's not what he wanted to do. It's not like we had delusions of grandeur about what Durant could have been or what he had in his mind. Like That was always an option that was on the table and if he decides not to come and decides to stay in Golden State, then that's just what he wanted to do. But that option was always there for him and always made logical sense. Yep. So, all right, either way, let's get into some lineup talk because with 
spring training or spring training. Oh my god, I'm in baseball mode still somehow. <laughs> training camp, football, basketball, football, basketball. With training camp coming up for the NBA, and then that means preseason games. Which what are we like? 17 days from the first preseason game. Is our first preseason game October 1st? Um, I think it's right at the beginning of October. So we're not far from that either, which is awesome. I'm but gonna, I'm just going to play. Yeah, look, look it up sure. real quick. Uh, so we the, just wanted to talk it, it a little bit first. about some. First, okay, great. Talk about some lineups, what we expect uh, to be the starters, and who we think could work well together because we see some roster turnover. There were some guys that had a lot of minutes last year, like Michael Beasley and Kyle Loquin and Porzingis that won't be playing at the beginning of the year. So we're going to see some interesting lineup choices. So, Kyle, why don't you give me who you think will be the starters on game one of the 2018-2019 NBA season for the New York Knicks? What? Okay, uh, I'll give you what I, what I think is actually going to happen and then what I'd like to see happen. So what I Great, think it, what I think's actually going to happen is... Uh, I still think Frank gets the starting nod for point guard. Um, I think Timmy's going to play the two. I think... Oh, man. I think I think they'll give Knox the three. Um, and then probably some... I, I really don't know who's going to play the four. A bulk of the minutes. I'll, I'll say Lance will probably start only because of Fizdale's uh, comments about him in the offseason. I agree with Lance. And uh, Cantor's obviously going to be the center. So... What I'd like to see, and I'm sure you and most others would agree, is France, Timmy, Courtney, uh, Knox at the four, and then Cantor at the five. Are we just calling Frank France now? Because I'm on board. Did I say France? Yeah, you just said France. So France is going to play, <laughs> uh, uh, going to start at the one. I love it. I love it. I'm on board. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think that when we're looking at the starters, the the thing that we'll end up talking with Knox is, you know, is he going to play the three or the four? What what position is he going to play more minutes at? And that's something we should follow with him because it's going to depend on the type of spots he ends up with in an offense. It's going to depend on what type of shooting is around him. And when you end up with a starting lineup with Knox at the three and Lance at the four, you have both Courtney Lee and Mario Hazonia coming off the bench. And I just, I don't know if I see that. And I know Fizdale has made some comments about playing Hardaway and Lee together. But at the same time, like, can you really see Courtney Lee and Hazonia both coming off the bench? I'm, I can see Hazonia. I'm really just struggling with Courtney Lee, and we've talked about this before. But I don't know, I don't know how they can sit him. I, I guess in good faith. You know what Courtney Lee feels like right now? He feels like that guy when you're out at the bar, and you're at just like you know a pretty normal bar in the city, and there's that guy kind of sitting at the bar, and he's like forty. And you're like, what's this guy doing here? Like, doesn't he know that everyone around is like 23, 24? Like, right. what's going on? Because right. Courtney Lee's not that old. But for the purpose of this team, he might as well be. And it feels like it because you don't exactly know what to do with him or where to put him. Yeah, because, I mean, ideally you want to move him, you know. But right. you, can't, you can't move him if he's not playing. And, and you're then... not going to move him just to do it because they want to actually right. be able to recoup some value. And that's why he's been traded so many times at the deadline because he's a desirable asset that teams really want at a deadline because he plays defense and he shoots threes. What more can you ask for from a two or a three? Not much. So I'd, I'd like for him to, I don't know, that's that's the guy I can't see sitting. I, I feel like somehow Courtney's going to end up starting, but then that means Knox wouldn't start, and then that makes my brain hurt, so I don't know. Right. 
would they really do that? Because Hardaway and Cantor are 100% locks. They're not uh-huh, coming off the bench. Never once getting paid too much money, specifically Hardaway. I'd almost, I'd almost, I got those two in with pen, and then I have Frank in with a pencil. I just don't, I simply cannot see them giving Trey Burke or Manuel Moutier the starting job. I can't. Burke seems more likely right. than Moutier, but at the same time, Burke just seems so much more well-suited for a six-man role. Like It's so blatantly obvious that that's the type of role he should serve, I despite that, his success at the end of the year last year. Yeah, me, me and Corbo talked about that on the pod last season when he was having his little explosion, and I got lambasted for it on Twitter, and I was like, guys, like... Look, really just look. Like, I understand it's exciting. I'd like to be wrong, too. But he's still averaging, like, 11 or 12 points. Right. Like, in, in big minutes, a lot of usage. Like, he's got the ball in his hands a lot. And he's still giving you 12 points. And it's only on mid-range. So, I'm like, guys, let's just scale it back a little bit. I really want him to do well. But he's going to do it as a sixth man. And saying a guy should come off the bench doesn't mean he's a bad player. Look at guys like Jamal Crawford. Look at Lou Williams last year. Right. Like, these doesn't mean these guys are bad players. And I'm not comparing Burke to those players. But at the same time, you need to put players in the role in which they're best suited. So Trey Burke, to me, is the kind of guy you want out there to give a shot of adrenaline to the offense. Shot in the arm. Give this, Get some offense going. Give this guy the ball. Let him control a little bit. Let him run some pick and roll. Let him work in the mid-range, which is going to regress this year. So prepare for that because he's not going to be able to shoot the same percentage as he did if he continues to take those mid-range shots. Although... He did take the lowest percentage of threes for his career last year in terms of his overall shot profile, which I'm thinking I want to see more Trey Burke. If he turns 5 to 10% of those mid-rangers into threes, that adds a lot to his game, and it gives another facet that really expands on what he can do and just ups his ceiling. Because if he's going all mid-range, it's going to be tough to replicate what he did last year. Yeah, and I agree. He's got to start shooting some threes, and I think that's the overall tone of the team because I know – Cantor's been shooting a lot of threes this offseason. We'll just, see if that sticks. Well, I'm, I was going to say. I'm not optimistic on that one. I'm not optimistic about it either, but I know that that was a conversation he supposedly had with uh, David Fisdale was about having to shoot threes. So I don't know that it's going to necessarily translate into games. I think that Fisdale sort of wants to have that in his back pocket in case. You know, and, and I know we've talked at length about him making big men shoot. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's suddenly going to turn Cantor into one. But to me, at least that seems viable, that he wants him to be able to take those shots. Whether or not they go in, I don't know. But we've seen uh, bigs who are effective at for at least spacing the floor out if they can't do anything else. Like Embiid is actually not an efficient three-point shooter at all. But he can not take at all. Not at all. I think he's less than 30%, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like 29. It's, it's yeah. like 29% or something. It's right there. But he's not a good three-point shooter, but he takes them. So I think I think that's sort of what we'd ever see from Cantor. You know, it'd be like really low percentage. Just the fact that you know he can shoot it occasionally. I, I don't see him suddenly turning around and taking like four or five attempts like Marcus All was, but Right. Yeah. And he has a nice touch on his jumper. Like we see he can pull out that jumper every once in a while and he can splash it. He's done that in game action. Uh, yeah, and I think long term he'll probably he'll probably add this to his game pretty easily. I just don't think it's gonna happen in the one summer, you know, that Fizdale's going to want him to start doing it. I think that's a little bit out of reach. I got a question for you. You ready? Okay. What do you think is the most three-point attempts Ennis Cantor has ever taken in a single NBA season? Total attempts? So he's played in the NBA for, you know, six, seven, eight years now. Total attempts for an entire season. 
it's no higher than 10. Like 10 is the, like that, that. I feel like that's too high. 45. He's taken 45 in a season? 45. So it was that weird, the 2014-15 Jazz team, where they were kind of playing a bunch of big lineups because I think they were playing Al Jefferson and they still had Derek Favors and Cantor. Like, that's why they kind of pushed Cantor out. He took 41 threes in 49 games. And then when he went to OKC, he only took four. But he was taking threes, and he shot it at 32%, which isn't bad. And then last, in 2016-17 with OKC, he took 38, but he was 5 for 38, which is 13%, which is just absolutely dreadful. So it's not like it's something that he's never had in his repertoire. Like He's busted it out every once in a while. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that he can take 30 to 43s this year, which just adds another part to the Knicks offense that could just end up warping the defense just a little bit. Because if you have to respect him even an ounce, it adds a lot to a team. Right. So that's something to think about when you're thinking about Linus with Cantor, is if he takes 43s this year, how different does that look? And what percentage can you shoot it at? But that's one thing we'll see as it goes along. So another thing I want to talk about is Frank and just the point guards before we get into the wing guys. Because the biggest takeaway from last year is that Emmanuel Moutier makes everyone on the court worse when he's on the court. No matter what he does, no matter if he has a nice start to a game, his entire career has bore this out. When he plays, his team is worse. And the lineups with Moutier and Nilakina were absolutely bottom of the barrel awful last year. So those two shouldn't share the court. But Trey Burke and Nilakina can definitely share the court. Those lineups were much better, and when you're looking at Burke, Nielakina, Hardaway, Michael Beasley, and Ennis Cantor, that was one of their better lineups last year that got a bit of an extended run at the end of the season. And you can see why a lineup like that works, because you have a dynamic scorer last year in Burke, you have a shooter in Hardaway, Beasley was another dynamic scorer, and then Cantor within the post, and he's able to do his thing inside. You need some more shooting in the long term, and that's why a lineup like that could never sustain over a long period of time. But my takeaway from someone like that is, Nilakina can offer a lot whether he's playing the one or the two. And one stat, I was just looking around on cleaning the glass and just looking at him being the lead guard versus being an off guard of sorts. He was per 100 possessions, negative 5.3 on you know about 1,200 possessions last year. So net rating of about negative five with another guard on the court. And he was negative two with just under 2,000 as the leading guard. So he was better of course, in limited minutes, but he did play almost, if not every game last year. So we're looking at a small sample size in the grand scheme, but also a full season. So for his whole career, this might end up being a small thing that doesn't last. But at the same time, we see that he can lead a lineup as the lead guard to something that can be passable if you surround him with the right type of players. Right. Well, wasn't there, I think it was end of... November or was like the second week of December when um one it was one of us one of us pulled something up for him and Kristaps's oh yeah we were talking about that a lot because they had the best it, but it was two like man lineup rating of the entire team like of any two but it man was, lineup it was astronomical is what I remember like it, yeah, it, it was, was really good it, it was gross like I remember like the 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 O rating was something, it was like 140, and then like defense was like 90. It was like a, a difference of 40 or 50. It was like something was stupid. And then yeah. and then we all laughed because we're like, that, how? How is that? That doesn't make any kind of sense. So, I mean, he's, we, we argue about Chris Tass being very impactful defensively, even when he's being inefficient offensively, but that's the exact kind of thing is 
if you're consistently bringing value in other areas, and it's not just regular value, sometimes elite value, like that shows up long term. Like the longer you're playing, the more you play, the more you can show those skills off. Like that does show up in those kinds of things. So I, I, I'm very excited to see what Frank does this year, man. That's the number one thing we're tracking where he's playing, who he's playing beside. But I think you just need to to manage the the Moutier Neela Keenemans just shouldn't happen because they're clearly a bad match. Neither one is much of a threat from three, and I hope that Frank progresses this year and can flash that three point ball at a little higher percentage. But Moutier, he's not someone I think what did he miss? Like his first fifteen attempts from three as a Nick, it was something just awful. So that's not something we should expect from him. I want to limit the minutes together for those guys and Moutier is just an interesting case because we've talked about this in Slack. What do you do with a guy like him if he's not starting? Because he's not your prototypical guard to come off the bench. Yeah, that, that's my thing. Is it's, I always felt like he either had to be a starter or there's probably not a spot for him in the league. And at this that, point, he's not a starter. Exactly. We know that. There's a, we have enough to say this man should not start in an NBA game. He, he kind of reminds me of when... Um, and this, this is going to sound just malicious towards him but he kind of reminds me of you know when older guards who were once very good at things um just they just age and they're no longer as effective and they just kind of come in to be like a game manager just hey uh don't turn the ball over don't shoot too many shots uh try not to shoot almost ever if you can just aka the knicks point guards at the beginning of the year last year ramon sessions and jared jack uh, essentially and even remember like um when Chauncey Billups got traded to the team. And Chauncey was solid, so I'm not slandering yeah. Chauncey. But, I mean, right. like, Anthony Carter would come oh my in God. And, and just not turn the ball over. We'd even have, like, Tony Douglas who could shoot threes, but basically it was like, hey, man, don't go nuts. And that's what Calderon was like, too, right? They were just like, just don't turn the ball over and just shoot threes. Like, it, it's you're not adding anything to the team. I feel like that's the only way he's really effective now is, like, don't let him do much offensively and just let him be game manager. And I feel like that's the only way where you have to tell him to be super conservative. And the that's thing, not his game. Like, and what's it's, he and doing it's not as good as exactly. role. Like, he's doing nothing. Because the only thing that is really good, he can get to the rim. He gets to the rim a lot. And then he, he just falls down. He just falls down or <laughs> he does uh he shies away from the contact. He he kind of goes like if you if you go, you know, to the right side of the rim, you should be aggressive, try to launch up with your left leg to get towards the rim. He's like shooting off with his right leg, kind of staggering out away from the rim. It's like these little bad habits. He just has all all the bad habits. Is what I feel like. And it's just, it takes what could be such an effective basketball player and just makes him not. It's very sad. Those habits are hard to break, too. You see this with young guards. You see it. You know who's going to develop a lot of bad habits in another sport? Josh Allen for the Bills. Because you surround these guys. And it's like, I think Dennis Schroeder had this happen to him, too, with Atlanta. You give these guys the ball and you say, just go out there and play basketball. You're our lead guard now. And that's kind of what the Nuggets did for a little bit with him. And you just develop these bad habits. You get into these bad scenarios where you're doing things that the coaches have told you not to and you're not thinking about it. And it's hard to break the mold. Once you've found yourself in a certain scenario and if you're ever asked to do something different, it's incredibly difficult to end up in a different place mentally. Yep. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, I don't know, hopefully Fisdale can figure something out with this with this bunch the, yes. the, we have yeah, two bunch. we have two reclamation uh two reclamation projects and one just project so hopefully he just uh realizes that he'd be better suited to work on the project and the reclamations can come as they come but who are your reclamations well the reclamations are trey and uh moody 
and who's the wait you said two 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 reclamations two reclamation projects and then just one project and then frank like frank is the project oh okay i see what you're saying okay. he, he he's still you know he he hasn't flamed out yet you know i thought you were trying to find a clever way to segue us into the wings and i thought you were gonna shoehorn hazonia in oh no that would have been good i missed it. i i was ready for it man i missed I, it. I was giving you a lot of credit so speaking of reclamation projects, <laughs> there you go. we you got this down. You were you were killing it tonight. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, how about that Hazonia? Yeah, I think he's someone. the The thing with Hazonia that we're going to need to keep an eye on, which was intriguing, looking at the lineups that they threw out last year, the Magic. Hazonia played fifty one percent of his minutes last year at the four. It's just preposterous to me. Right, which I was shocked at when I looked this up, but. It's because he played. I think his most popular lineup that he played with was with Jonathan Simmons, Jonathan Simmons, excuse me, and Wesley Amundu. Like you're seeing these guys that could also be classified as a four if you're really gonna split hairs. So that's where they assigned him. But either either way, when you're looking at the other wing options for the Knicks, they're in a similar mold. Like to me, Hardaway can play the two or the three, and when you have a Kevin Knox, he can defend a lot of different positions just in terms of his size. He's gonna struggle defensively to start the year because it's not something he did especially well at Kentucky. But we've also seen some Kentucky guys come into the NBA and show a varying level, both good and bad. Cause we saw cat in college be somewhat of a dominant defender. And then when he came to the NBA, he hasn't been quite as good. So it's hard to peg those guys down just because they play such a different scheme under Calipari. But at the end of the day with his he's has exactly what I want from my wing and that's shooting which the Knicks didn't have from some of their wings last year. Michael Beasley served them well, but he wasn't helping you space the floor at all. And when you have Courtney Lee, Hardaway, Kevin Knox can shoot threes, Hazonia can shoot threes, these are the guys I want playing the wing for me, and I don't care, depending on who the other team is throwing out there, if that's your 2-3-4, you've got those four or five guys that you're going to be able to throw out there at the wing. As long as you can match up defensively and hold your own on that end, I just want to see the Knicks have more shooting this year from their lineups. That's the bottom line. No, I mean, we've we bitched about this for like three or four years now. They just a need, long time. A really it, it long time. It feels stale, but I'm going to keep saying it until it changes. And this feels like the year it should change, but we'll see. I just want top half of the league in three-point attempts. That's all I want to see. I don't want them to go to like number three. I don't want them to do anything crazy like the Nets did where all they do is shoot threes. But we need to see some sort of progression here. They have enough guys on this team that can shoot threes and that can make this happen, especially with Hardaway and Hazonia, two guys that I, we just got to see them shoot more threes. Because even Hardaway last year, his percentages were bad. They're going to improve this year. I will do anything if he shoots worse from three. I'll make any bet with anyone. Tweet at me. Tweet at the podcast account. I'll do anything if he's worse from three this year than he was last year. I'm just putting that on record. It's just it cannot happen. It just is not a exactly. thing that's going to happen. Exactly. But for me, they don't even need to be top half. Like top half is obviously what you shoot for. If they were like top twenty. Top I'd 21, 22, right? like I'd be, I'd be thrilled because they've been like below 26, 27 since it seems like since Steve Novak and the 2013 team fell apart, you know, they just have, they've had nothing. They've had nothing. So if they could just get back into like the top two thirds, I'd even settle for Just get, get somewhere. Don't be in the bottom third. Just get out of the basement is really, because I understand that even though we have shooters now, they might not be the most talented guys. So I get how maybe you don't want to shoot all your shots out there. You're not, you maybe don't want to put too much of an emphasis on it. I would understand. But just get out of the basement. Anything. Like you said, just make some progress. Show us something. Which we've seen Fizdale do that with the Grizzlies. When he was in Memphis, 
he took the Grizzlies from bottom of the league to league average in three-point attempts. That's what we want to see from the Knicks. Yeah, I just – coaches have a funny way of um, being successful elsewhere and then coming to New York and saying things they're going to do and then those things don't always happen. It's funny how that works. Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to – and I, I'm on record numerous times. Fizdale was one of the guys I pined for from the beginning of the search. Uh, we got him, and I was pretty thrilled about it. Uh, I'm a big Fizdale fan, and I believe in him. And I think – I'm not going to sit here and be you know bona fide. This is the time he's going to – you know right the ship, be the, the stable coaching uh, head coach that they that they need. But um, I believe in him more than I believed in just most of the last coaches. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the last time I really liked the coach was probably uh, Mike Woodson and D'Antoni, and neither one of those were able to really get it together. At least D'Antoni had a system. The players just stunk up until he got canned. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's kind of wild. D'Antoni is going to make the Hall of Fame because of his two teams that ended up, like, being outside of the Knicks. With the yeah. Suns and the Rockets, like, if the Rockets can continue this run, but he still had a successful run with them. And with the Knicks, it's just funny how that's happened. We've seen it happen with so many guys. Lenny Wilkins, NBA title head coach. We did our whole head coach rankings, which was a brutal exercise. But Larry Brown, you know, the, all these guys that they've had, in the past that have come to New York and just done terribly. But in defense of the Knicks, and we've said this all summer, and I'm going to continue saying this until I see something change, you feel like they have a direction and they're on the same page. And that can't be said of the hirings in the past. It felt like they were hiring these guys for the name, not because of what they thought they could actually do in New York. No, I for the first time in a long time, and maybe we're just drinking the Kool-Aid, but it does look like all signs are pointing to it being exactly what you described. Everybody being on the same page, um, whether or not the results end up being what we hope for, um, that's a different story. But if you're at least being patient and working towards something, then, I mean, that's all we can really ask for. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, like we were talking about Hazonia, we have the other wings with uh, Knox and, and Courtney Lee. So, you know, I... I, I don't know. Do you, do you see do you gun to your head? Do you see Courtney Lee or Kevin Knox starting at the three? Well, I think the most likely lineup or the one I'd like to see, I should say, is Neil Aquina Hardaway, Lee Knox, Cantor. But if you're, I think they're starting Kevin Knox because I think they're committed to him and I think they loved what they saw in summer league. And barring anything drastic happening in summer league, I'd be fairly shocked if he didn't start opening night. I would not be shocked if Courtney Lee didn't start opening night. I agree. I agree. I feel like they just have to ride out the Knox thing. You have to. And especially if he looks good in preseason, if he can hold his own, which I, again, like I I don't think there's a scenario this year where Knox is just absolute garbage. I don't really – he could be – efficient-wise, he could struggle. But I find it hard to believe after what we saw and watching plenty of his college tape, I find it hard to believe he'll just be bad this year. And it's something that you've said a lot is we just don't want to see the rookies be awful. So even with Frank last year, his advanced stats are pretty poor. He struggled from the floor, but objectively he was not awful last year. I don't think Knox could be awful. I don't see how that could be an option in our current reality. I I don't think it's going to happen. Um, My big thing with rookies for the past couple of years now, as you know, is just don't suck. So if you don't suck, then you know, we'll, we'll be okay. We can manage. Right. It, it just can't be a horrific swing and miss. Like that's, that's where I'm at. That's, that's where the bar is bit. but Knox, 
you know, the only thing, again, you can't read too much in a summer league ever, but the only thing, as we discussed with some of those summer league pods, is um, the one thing that you really do look for in summer league is does this player jump off the screen to you? Does this player look like he simply does not belong in the summer league? And the pretty much outside of the game against the Celtics, for the most part, Knox kind of looked that way. He was faster and stronger and a little bit more physically imposing than a lot of the guys he was playing against. He kind of got to where he wanted to get to, just took long-ass strides to get there. Like, it's just, we saw a lot that, you know, had him jump off the screen. And that, to me, is why I'm comfortable saying, like, yeah, he's not going to suck. You can't come out and be that good against, you know, half NBA competition, half fringe guys, and look and just totally trounce them and then come in and then and then suck like maybe sure sure you're not going to be as good sure you're not going to average 21 and a half points or whatever he averaged in the summer league but right. he's not going to come out and then suddenly just throw up seven points a game you know that's not going to happen yeah. and he could shoot 39 percent from the floor this year like that's a distinct possibility like i think he'll struggle with efficiency because he wasn't overly efficient even in college especially from three although i'm bullish on his three-point shot and i've said that before but i want right. to make that clear i think his three-point shot's going to translate but just for the record too you know who there's like a good chance they could suck is Mitchell Robinson. So like, don't be thinking that both of these guys are locks because Robinson for all of the things we saw in summer league, he's the type of guy that could pretty easily come out this year and just not make an impact because he's so raw. So we got to keep that in mind too. Correct. Uh, uh, A lot of what he can do well, I think can kind of, I I, I want to be careful about how I say this. I don't want to say it could be chalked to it being the summer league, but, but it's true because athleticism translate well to the summer league that's why Knox looks so good too and he's able to exploit defenses that aren't tight at all and aren't going after rebounds Uh you're going to see NBA defenses that are good on these things that are rotating well on pick and rolls that are communicating that are boxing out that's not happening in summer league so that's why he was able to dominate we could see him still do well this year I'd be much more bearish on him in terms of a possibility of being good this year than Knox obviously it's all relative because you're talking about first round pick second round pick but the the level of volatility with Robinson is much higher than with Knox. And again, relative to their draft position and skill set. Right. The, the, what I was concerned about, too, is I know he had a lot of blocks. And a lot of that is just he's tall and athletic. And he had the instincts to get it. But I do wonder how many of those were, can be attributed to sloppy summer league play. A lot of them. That You know what I mean? Like, there was yeah. some, there was some that are undeniably good, just objectively great plays that he made. Like the one that we've pointed out on this pod a few times is when he was on the right side of the court uh, and the half court set on the right side. And he was up towards the top of the key and they went to trap the ball handler. I forgot who was helping him defend, but it was him and somebody else. They trapped the ball handler perfect, but the ball handler got the ball out and kicked it way over to the left side of the court with the corner. Robinson turned around, had on a swivel, took three big-ass strides, and swatted the shit out of bounds. That's a perfect block. Like, that's a that's a better-than-perfect block. Like, so those things you should get excited about. But right. he compiled, like, four or five blocks a game, which that's great at face value. But look at some of those shots that those players are make, uh, taking. Like, even Kevin Knox. Look how many bullshit, you know, left side of the basket trying to go up with his right-hand shots he was trying to take. And... Right that level of play is just undeniably there in the summer league. So I don't want to start shitting on Mitchell Robinson, but I understand your point of we can be a little bit more cautious on Mitchell Robinson versus um, what we expect from Kevin Knox. It does make a hell of a lot of sense. 
Last question for you. Game 82 for the New York Knicks of this season. What's the starting lineup you want to see? Hmm. Uh, game 82 for me means, and this is assuming that they're not in the playoffs. Not in the playoffs. Uh, so the way I see it is, I'd hope Frankie's still starting at this point. I I, I believe in Frank, so I'd say Frank's still going to start. Timmy's still going to be the two. Knox is still going to be the three. But then I'd like to see them somehow incorporate Robinson. I don't know that he's going to start, but I'd like to see. I, I don't know if they would ever do like Cantor at the four and uh, Robinson at the five or vice versa. That would be versa. awful. It would be, it would be that. it would be awful. But I I just want to figure out a way. Maybe I, I don't know if they'd rest Cantor, but I'm trying to find out. Well, what... there's an easy answer here that you're missing. What's that? Because Porzingis should be back, right? Yeah, but I don't want to. Uh, so here's your ideal starting lineup if you're in Nick. But I'm I'm biased because I want him to sit. I want him to miss yes. the whole season. But the best way to think about this is I want to follow the Paul George model, and that's are we in agreement with this, or do you want him to not play a single game all year? I'm. I would prefer if he didn't play all year, only because okay. only because he's such a freak athlete and has a freakish build that I think that makes it different than. You know, Paul George has more of an average wing player kind of build where Paul George comes out. And, and that was also a bone thing, too. And It was I, different. I, I just feel like this is a structural major ligament for a guy with a build and athleticism that maybe we haven't seen before. And I just really, really don't want them to fuck it up by having him rush back. But I really honestly do understand the, the Paul George play because that's a slow bring back where you play like a little bit of bit of minutes here and there and you kind of work back in and you're not going to go over the top that's what i would like to see i want him to play six to ten games at the end of the year just get his feet out like under him and just see what he can do on the basketball court and he doesn't have to start but if i'm a knicks fan and i'm thinking game 82 my starting lineup i don't even think twice it should be neil Akina, hardaway knox porzingis Cantor. that's the lineup if that's the lineup that starts game 82 I'd be thrilled. Okay. That's what I want to see. No, I, I I wouldn't have any problems with that. I wouldn't have any problems with KP coming back like that. And we'll see if it happens. But I we are not in agreement with anyone that wants him to return before February. I know there's some people talking about Christmas. I just don't know why anyone would want that. Why would we want to put him out there earlier than he should want to? Because we shouldn't even want the Knicks to really make the playoffs this year. And obviously, if they're going to make a run with this roster, that's great. But my point is, when Porzingis comes back, the season's going to already be spoken for at that point. The Knicks probably won't be very good. They won't be in the playoff run, all things considered, and putting all the roster in and considering who they're going to end up matching up with and all of those different things. They probably won't be in playoff contention. So unless you want to see Porzingis play for three months at the end of the season, which, sure, we all do, but we need to think long-term here because if the Knicks have these hopes for these illustrious free agents. They need a healthy KP. And let's say he comes back in December. Let's say he plays his first game December 25th and he doesn't look that good the rest of the year. Free agents are going to see that and they might get worried. If he comes back at the end of a season and plays six games and is still getting his feet under him, then free agents will say, oh, he's just still getting back into game shape. He's working it in. We know how good he is. So the Knicks need to be really careful with this. The more time they wait, the better. I'd rather him sit out the whole season than come back on Christmas. No, short-sighted is the word because... Yes. And it, I get it. It's it, like, it's, the, it's the easy thrill. You know, 
it's the it's the fruit that's closest to you rather than running across the field to grab the other one. It's like, oh, this is right here. I can just take this rather than walk all the way down and wait for it down the line. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense on multiple levels to come back before February in my opinion, but especially not by fucking Christmas. That's just and and I've seen it floating around and it's just, that's kind of bothered me. And th- I don't understand why people even subscribe to that kind of a thing either because on top of you know the reasons that I mentioned just for the way his body is structured just from the human standpoint of it I mean look at how KP's family handles all his affairs look at how involved his brothers are in being cautious and making sure that their client their brother is protected so why why would they agree to have him rush back to play one just because he's ahead of schedule just because they shouldn't you know what i mean like yeah, well, yeah. It, it would go against everything that the porzingis family as, as sports agents as, as their you know as his uh brothers they stand for they, they they've been overly cautious and overly protective so why would that suddenly change now that's that's the thing that gets me too why would they suddenly be like yeah no fuck it it's okay if he comes back by christmas time yeah that's totally okay do you guys need him now he can play it, right it, it, even the way they were leveraging the contract negotiations, too. It, none of it makes sense for them to be okay with. And he listens, and he does what they say. There's none, none of, no, I don't know, nothing to me says that he's going to come back early. They would never let that happen anyway. February's like the earliest. Like you said, he plays a couple months at the end of the year. You know, maybe just really lightly works his way back in. But it's preposterous to think he's going to come back um, in Christmas. And if he does, again, I'll eat a significant amount of crow. I just, I don't see why that would happen and why we'd want that to happen. I'd be scared watching him play. Like I'm just being honest. I'm looking at this guy, this seven foot two, seven foot three guy coming back ten months after an ACL surgery. I'm gonna be watching him and just be worried the whole time. I'd just be scared out of my mind that something's yep. gonna happen because I think he should be still be sitting. Yep. If I'm a Knicks fan, it's it's easy for me. If I'm painting my perfect scenario for this season, it's easy. Neil Aquina shows development on the offensive end. We know how good he is defensively. Kevin Knox looks good offensively, shoots the three ball better than most people expect, can use that floater in the lane that he loves to his advantage. Those are the two guys I want to see. You'd love to see some more stuff from a Trey Burke, although I'm I'm not incredibly high on him. You'd love to see Hardaway up his percentages and be more of an option that they can rely on at the two or potentially trade if they need to. Cantor's going to walk. You'll have some space to work with. Porzingis comes back a little bit at the end of the year. You see some stuff. That's all I want. And then they don't make the playoffs, and they end up getting another lottery pick to add to the treasure trove and continue to build up this roster to convince the free agents to come. It's easy for me in my mind. I don't want any sort of hot start to have us thinking playoffs. And if they ever make the playoffs, that's fine. But as a Knicks fan, we need to think long term. It's important for us at this stage to think long term and what's going to be best for this team over the next two years when they're going to need these free agents. Because guess what? You need those guys to win. The Knicks aren't going to win a title unless they hit immensely on this next lottery pick if they end up in the lottery with the roster as currently constructed. It's, it won't happen. They'll need another guy. That's just how it goes. That's how the NBA is. You need those guys to come. It's really hard, even if Knox is incredible and comes out of the gates and is just remarkable right away. It's still going to take a while, even if Neil Aquina has some development. You need the established stars in the NBA. They already have one, assuming he remains healthy, but... You need another one. You need to add something else to this roster. It's still not going to be good enough if you keep it as currently constituted. 
I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. All right. So we got that to look forward to. Training camp, under two weeks, which is exciting. Basketball is finally coming. We're ready. We're ready for our thirst to be quenched here. It's been too long without real basketball, so it was good to talk some actual hoops and get back into this Knicks roster. So, Kyle, any parting thoughts? No. No, I'm good. I think we covered it. All right. Awesome. So, thanks for listening, guys. Tune in next week. Kyle, we'll talk to you later, man. Take it easy, guys. Yeah.